The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with yet another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Ben Weber, Managing Director of Graythorn. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you having me. Well, thanks for making the time today. Before we start a discussion, could you take a few seconds to tell the audience about you and your background? Sure. I've been in technical recruitment now for roughly 16 years spent some time overseas before that, had a father in the Air Force, and we spent a good amount of time at different Air Force bases around the world, and got a lot of experience for different peoples and cultures and things of that nature, and ended up out here in Seattle, Washington after graduating from college with a business degree, and kind of fell right into staff augmentation and recruiting. I ended up at Graythorn, and been here for roughly 15 years now. It's been quite the ride. Perfect. And could you take a couple minutes and provide our audience with a 10,000-foot overview of the work you guys do at Graythorn? Sure. We are specialist technology recruiters in the healthcare IT space, as well as the open source and big data space. Healthcare IT represents about roughly 80% of our revenue, most of that coming in the consulting arena. And then big data open source is primarily direct hire or permanent technical recruiting. And we do a lot of work in the open source community, in particular with startups, smaller companies on the West Coast, San Francisco, Seattle, and then even some into Austin. Perfect. Well, I'm very excited because in your seat over 16 years, you've learned a lot of things about what's going on in the market, how people are hiring from year to year. You've seen the bubbles, you've seen the pops, you've seen it all. So I've got some questions that I hope our audience will really appreciate. Let's start with an easy one. What are some of the big trends in health IT hiring and compensation right now? Yeah, I appreciate it. Great question. You know, we've seen over the last three to four years that salary basically continues to be a top motivator for HIT professionals. But over the last year or two, we see that roughly about 11% of respondents are actually focusing a little bit more on interesting or challenging work, trying to be a part of a community or a group of men and women who are really trailblazing in the HIT space. We also see that health systems that they try to attract healthcare IT professionals are really struggling a lot initially with the compensation levels being where they are, where the market is saying they need to be. And so there's some re-leveling internally with HR and things of that nature to make sure that they're being able to attract and then, of course, retain healthcare IT professionals. There's a lot of telecommuting opportunities these days, again, as healthcare IT professionals continue to demand good perks and benefits. And telecommuting is one of the high ones on the list there as well. We see a lot of different things that are going on in the space. We create a market report on an annual basis, and this is the first year that we'll be dealing in trends and doing some trends analysis on that market report. And that new market report will be coming out early next year where we'll really analyze some of these trends and be able to speak to percentages and a lot more of the data analytics behind where we see the health IT professionals 
going in terms of compensation and some of those hiring practices. Perfect. Here's another one. What can managers and above do to prepare and to get their next job? Yeah, great question, Joe. You know, honestly, I think it's important that they really look to a couple of known recruiters confidentially. Recruiters can be a really good source of market intel, knowledge about other companies. Obviously, they will give them the ability to really understand how their resume looks and reads and to ensure that they're being able to sell that resume out there in, in the market. So I would recommend that they go and look for a referral. If they don't know of any recruiters, I would look for great people who will know and refer great recruiters in. I would ask them to update their LinkedIn profile, set up some job alerts on companies like Indeed and even LinkedIn. I would encourage them to go to their privacy and settings setting on LinkedIn and under the sharing profile edits, I would turn that off. Go into blocking and hiding and out of communication. I would change their notification that goes out to their network when they join a group to know. These are just good ways of protecting the confidentiality of a manager looking for a new job. So they're not blasting it out to their network to the point where maybe somebody internally in their organization or their boss for that matter would see it or hear about it. So a couple little perks there that would really help them ensure their privacy. But get in touch with some great recruiters, particularly in the niche that they're focused in. If they're epic, go with a recruiter who focuses just on healthcare IT epic. If they're Cerner, go with somebody who's focused just on healthcare IT Cerner. Really talk to these individuals. Get to know your recruiters. And you know, I would encourage them to meet with them face-to-face if at all possible. If there are any recruiters out there who are not willing to meet with you face-to-face, logistically speaking, I'm making sure that works, then I would probably tend to back away a little bit because you really need some good face-to-face interaction with your recruiters so that they truly understand not only your technical acumen, but your personality, what sort of culture you're going to fit well in, how to approach certain managers and high-level executives about representing you. So those are a few things to do. And we've also got a great career suite on our site, which has some information about counteroffers and resignations, some advice there, some advice on resumes and interview tips, and I'm happy to get into that if you'd like as well. Absolutely. First of all, thank you for that great advice. And second of all, to take you up on that offer, I'll ask my question like this. I'm guessing that in your 16 years, you probably interviewed tens of thousands of people, and you've seen the common interview mistakes. What are some of those common interview mistakes? Yeah, one of the biggest things that comes up, Joe, is people not being prepared for the interview. I know that's pretty basic, but I would certainly encourage somebody to take the extra time and do the research. Know not only a little bit more about the company you're interviewing with, but the individuals you're going to be interviewing with. One of the basic issues that I see interviewees have is that they are not coming with questions. When I'm interviewing people, in fact, I interviewed somebody last week for an internal position here. And great interview, good chat, good energy. Seems like a lot of excitement. And I spent a lot of time talking, of course, talking about the opportunity. And at the end of the interview, I'm always asking, what sort of questions do you have for me? And this individual said, oh, none. I don't have any. And it's like, well, none. I spent a lot of time communicating about what we're doing and where we're going. I would imagine that would pique your interest and you'd have some questions about that. So for me, it's a bit of a yellow flag. And so I would encourage everybody to come with questions. Some questions, for example, could be, what's the career path involved with this role? What are the three most important tasks you are expecting this role to deliver in the first year, for example? Or how will my performance be measured? What are the company's biggest challenges that they're facing this year? What's your management philosophy, right? Get to know that individual. Another key tip for us is 
when you're communicating and telling a potential employer about yourself, use the word I instead of we. And again, that's kind of basic, but I do see people get caught up in the, well, when I was here, we did this and we did that. And that's great. And I'm sure you're a part of a team and it's wonderful. You have the ability to communicate effectively and present yourself well and to build camaraderie. But I'm interested in you as an individual coming to my firm or to one of my clients from. So what did you do specifically to use the word I? We also encourage our consultants and our candidates to use the STAR method in terms of structuring their answers. And it's kind of a a well-known method out there. It stands for situation, task, action, and result. So when I'm asking questions as an employer about give me an example of something you've done, well, build up the situation. Give me the scenario. Talk about the specific task, the deliverable. Then talk about the action that you took as the individual involved in that project or that undertaking. And then give me the results. Be thorough. Be concise. Use as many examples as you can and make it easier for me to relate to you. Bring the scenarios to my attention and give examples of what they mean. And spend time before you're going into the interviews. Lastly, think about how you want to be perceived. Do you want to be perceived as an energetic go-getter? Do you want to be perceived as an analytical kind of introvert who's really focused on one core task and can really nail that and get that done? Do you want to be perceived as a great team player or as a thought leader, as a strategic thinker? Think about those kind of things before you're going into your interviews. So those initially are some tips that may help. Ben, this advice is pure gold. Thank you so much. I find myself, as I'm listening, having more and more questions now that I've got the expert and somebody on the inside. Here's one I know lots of people have come to me and asked advice about, and I really don't have a good answer. What do you recommend for somebody to do when they're trying to get noticed by a recruiter or respond to a job that a recruiter has posted and the recruiter is not responding? Yeah, as recruiters... We do get a lot of people knocking on our doors, and we are in a position of power, so to speak, and we need to be humble about that, and we need to make sure that everybody is heard and listened to, and it's hard to do. It really is. But I would encourage individuals to be persistent. It's okay. You're not bothering us. Be persistent. Oftentimes, I can't speak for all recruiters, but recruiters, they have so much intel coming into their inbox. I mean, at the end of the day, Joe, we are knowledge brokers. That's what we do. We broker information from one party to another, and we are in a very privileged spot to be able to have access to information that a lot of people don't have as we speak to executives and engineering managers and directors and health system executives, et cetera. We're learning a lot of intel. And as we speak to candidates and consultants on the marketplace, we're understanding pitfalls and concerns and opportunities and for growth and, and new technologies. And so we're bringing all this intel in on a regular basis. And so we've got a lot of information to not only manage, but to document and disseminate. And so we've got a lot of information in our inboxes. And so if we're not getting back to somebody. It's important that they are staying persistent with us. And I would encourage people to pick up the phone to your recruiter or pick up the phone to the agency that you saw the job at and just ask. Call somebody and say, hey, I haven't had any feedback. I haven't had anybody follow up. Can anybody tell me how I can get my resume known or seen over there? Just be proactive in that respect. And focus on the recruiters from the jobs that you see that are actually in the marketplace. General IT recruiter, Well, they're okay, they are kind of a dying breed. I think it's important that 
anybody looking in the healthcare IT space focus on agencies that have the majority of their revenue coming from hospitals and health systems and the IT side. And so when they're seeing these job ads out there, if it's coming from a generalist agency and they're not getting any feedback and response, likely because they've got other priorities that may not be in the HIT space. Still give it a shot, but again, look to see if other agencies have that same job and focus on those agencies. And obviously, get referrals about what the best agencies are and things of that nature. But yeah, but follow up, be proactive, get on the phone, email two, three times if they have to, put their resume in front of them again, and eventually they'll get heard and, and they'll get the time they deserve. Great perspective. One of the things I've heard in the answer to that question is, some jobs are posted just because they need to be posted, and I'd be talking more about internal jobs. Some jobs, they already have enough internal candidates, and a company is posting because they're required to post, and unless they see something that knocks their socks off and they have four or five internal candidates, maybe that's a reason that a recruiter may or may not be responding. So there's all kinds of valid reasons why persistence is important. It's important for the job seeker to get that feedback too. Hey, this job has already been filled or we already have enough candidates, that kind of thing. Yeah, Joe, you're absolutely right. Sometimes the postings are old. Sometimes they've been out there for 30 plus days and within the first 48 hours, they have enough applicants depending on the particular position. But that doesn't mean that they won't have a very similar role opening up again two, three, four days later. So yes, that persistence is key and critical. And we as recruiters, we have to have pipelines. We have to have what I call a virtual bench, unless you're a consulting firm, where you have and you're tracking lists of top tier quality healthcare IT professionals who have provided you with their availability for contract roles or their interest in direct hire roles in terms of moving from one company to another. And we're documenting that and we're managing those lists and we're staying on top of it. And so when we do have the opportunities to come in, we know who to call and when and we kind of have a plug and play relationship because we've spent time on the phone and we've met and we've got to know each other. So be persistent, get on those lists and just make sure you're heard. Perfect. How about this one, Ben? Sure. Should job seekers hire a resume consultant? Yeah, great question. I would say if you're an executive, absolutely, 100%. I don't know if it's a dying breed or not, but I will say I've got a couple of friends in the industry out here in the greater Seattle area who own their own staffing firms in IT, and they both come to me over the course of the last three years and said, hey, I've got somebody looking for a high-level executive resume consultant. Do you know of any? I can't find any. And it's like, Seven, eight, ten years ago, they were all over the place. And nowadays, they're few and far between. I did some research, you know, I had one in my pipeline and, and I referred them over, but I only know of one in the greater Seattle area that I think very highly of. And so I don't know if it's dying great or not, but if you're an executive, you have most often had a terrific amount of accomplishments and experiences that need to be uncovered and articulated in a structured and concise manner. Recruitment agencies, in certain respects, can help you do that, absolutely. But a resume consultant who focuses their life's energy on doing just that, it's probably a better route for you to go, and I would certainly encourage them to go that way. At the end of the day, these executives, while they may be great at a lot of different things, sometimes remembering back what they did five years ago about Project X, is not something that's first and foremost on their mind, but it may be directly applicable to some of the roles that they may be finding themselves looking at in the future. And a resume consultant has the right structure and approach to be able to uncover that information and articulate it in a manner that is, like I said, concise and appropriate for other executives who may be looking to hire. So, 
Man, I get into my social media accounts every morning for the purpose of doing several things, networking. Yeah. I'll put new content out. I'll scan existing content to see what I need to get smarter on. And one of the things that I guess you call it my pet peeve is when somebody puts up the for sale sign. I notice it immediately on LinkedIn. It's like, oh, that person's looking for a job. As opposed to somebody who is continuously networking and keeping their name out there, tell me what your perspective is. Obviously, when someone loses their job, they have to intensify their effort. But what people lose from not spending a couple hours every month just staying in contact with their network? Yeah, and I appreciate that. I've seen your work on social media, and I've read some of your pieces, and you're very well up-to-date in a lot of that respect. So I know that your users are getting consistent, up-to-date information, and I appreciate that. And that takes me back to the old axiom that luck favors the prepared. And if you are mentally, financially, socially, and professionally, quote-unquote, ready at all times, i.e. by staying up-to-date and current in your networking and your profiles, you'll be in a much better position to recognize opportunity knocking and then to be able to take that leap and capitalize on it when it does come. And so I think it is important to always be networking, to always be prepared versus kind of just at one point deciding to put up that for sale sign because you never know when an opportunity is going to arise. Well, and you make that opportunity, I think, by keeping up to date. You see your former boss gets a new job and it's at your dream company. If you're asleep on social media and you didn't notice that, you wouldn't notice that within six months you should be going and working with your former boss at the dream company. Meanwhile, you lost your job two and a half years later, and he's already hired his management team. It's things like that that will happen if you just don't spend a little time each month on yourself, is my opinion on that one. And I encourage a lot of my candidates, at least once a quarter, go in there and update what you've done in LinkedIn and wherever else you present yourself to the marketplace. Because, Joe, as you can imagine, look at how many interviews you have on a regular basis, look at all the information and learning opportunities that you have on a regular basis. A lot of that's not being captured potentially, not just you in particular, but in a lot of these healthcare IT professionals because they're just moving at a mile a minute and they're going off to the next project or they're internally, they're working on a role and then they're focused on something else down the road. They don't take the time to say, okay, look what I've just accomplished. And let me just drop a line or two into my social media profile just to make sure that I've got it written down because if they put up the for sale sign, they're likely maybe going to have to go back two, three, four years worth of their time at a particular company and think, oh, gosh, what did I do back then or what was that project about or et cetera, et cetera. So staying current just helps you. I used to be a healthcare management IT consultant for 25 years before I started Intrepid Now. And in that role, the most common question I was asked was, how do I become a healthcare IT consultant? Because I'd be out in health plans or hospitals consulting and people would see, they'd kind of, I don't want to say be jealous of the lifestyle, but they'd say, oh, I really like that lifestyle of traveling and going and solving different problems. What is your answer to that question? How does one become a healthcare IT consultant? Yeah, it could be a very good opportunity for some people and it could be hard for others. I think initially you got to put yourself in the mindset of, what it actually means to be a consultant. That means that more often than not, you're not going to be working in the city that you're living. You're going to be spending the majority of your time on the road traveling. I mean, healthcare IT consultants, 
travel. They go from project to project to project. So mentally, physically, you have to be ready for that and you have to prepare yourself for that. But specifically, you really need to have experience. There's a lot of people looking to get into the healthcare IT marketplace, working particular EMRs, and they're having conversations quite a bit. But there's really only one way to ensure that you are ready, and that's to get the experience under your belt. So volunteer for project teams. Make sure that as you're working for a health system, as they're implementing an EMR, or optimizing or upgrading or doing work around the healthcare IT space, that you're involved that you're getting great experience, that you're listening to experts and other consultants, and you're hearing the types of questions that they're asking. You're jotting that down. You're understanding the bigger picture. I mean, a healthcare IT consultant is somebody who is a, quote-unquote, a hired gun. Their job is to get in there and get to work immediately. So within the first week, my client's going to tell me, this person is fantastic, they're excellent, they know what they're doing, we really appreciate that work for actually, we need a little bit more here, we need a little bit more experience there, or they don't have this big picture understanding here. And so you really need to make sure that you are mentally prepared and you have great experience in that healthcare IT space, and in particular, that EMR that you might be focusing on. And talk to a recruiter. Great recruiters can really continue to help mold some of that experience and then give you opportunities because you have to put yourself in a position where people know that you want to be a healthcare IT consultant not just anybody, but people who can actually affect change positively for you, who can provide opportunities, who can open those doors for you. Recruiters are a great way to do that. And so, again, get a referral for a great recruiter who's specifically focused on that niche, that EMR niche that you want to spend time in, or that clinician niche, et cetera. And then spend time building relationships there. Look at those opportunities. Try out for them. Build your project experience that you've got under your belt into your resume. Use the words I, like I mentioned earlier. Talk about specifics. Talk about deadlines and dates and budgets and really show the marketplace that you understand what it takes to take a implementation or a component of that or a module from A to B. And then provide leadership skills. Show your leadership skills through your communication, through your written and presentation skills. We've got a great little white paper that we talk about being a professional consultant these days, and a lot of it's basic one-on-one stuff, but there's some 300-level, 400-level stuff in there, and I would encourage your listeners to check that out. You can find it on SlideShare, or you can find it on our website, but it really talks about what it means to be an actual consultant, because it is different, because you're going from project to project, health system to health system, and everybody's different, the cultures are, are different, the deliverables, the needs, they're all different. So you've got to be able to be a chameleon, you've got to be able to present and articulate yourself well, and you've got to be able to stand above the crowd and to not get pulled into the fray and to focus on those key core deliverables that you're being paid to do. So again, it's a mindset. Physically, mentally, it's a change in attitude in terms of what it takes to be on the road on a, on a consistent basis. So I realize that's kind of some high-level stuff, but hopefully that helps a little bit. It absolutely does. The one thing I'll reinforce is when I started this 27 years ago, traveling was fun and it was yeah. adventurous as there were seven flights a day to anywhere you'd want to go. And if you missed one, you'd get the next one and it, it was no big deal. And security lines were non-existent and airfares were relatively cheap. But things have changed related to the travel and travel. You got to really be committed to wanting to be a consultant to kind of go through the hassles of the travel. And it's not that it's not bearable, but you're going to waste several hours every month sitting in an airport because something got delayed. And 
you've got to have the mindset that says, I'm going to open my computer and pump that deliverable out rather than right. I'm going to get on Facebook and start griping to all my friends about another travel delay. Yeah, so, well, absolutely, Joe. TSA and, and the issues they're having on a national scale now, I mean, we all understand it's getting harder and harder and harder along those lines. And also, not every health system that you might be consulting to is open to the 410, work Monday through Thursday and use Friday as your travel days. You have to be prepared to have shorter weekends, less time with family and friends, and recognize that projects may last three, five, six, nine months, and they're not guaranteed. So. You have to be financially stable as well, and you have to be mentally prepared to say, okay, this project is coming to an end. Where's my next project coming from? And, again, that's where a great recruiter can really help continue to put opportunities in front of you. But if you don't get those opportunities, you may be, quote, unquote, on the bench for a month or two or maybe longer. So it does take some financial preparedness to go along with that ahead of time. Perfect. Ben, as we come up on the middle of 2016 here, what do you guys have planned for the rest of the year? Are you bullish? Or are you bearish? Great question. We are bullish. We are spending a good amount of time in the open source big data space, focusing on principal data scientists and Cassandra engineers and data engineers and DevOps engineers. And that really is a great opportunity for us nationwide even. And that tails and dovetails nicely into the healthcare IT space. We've been in him for the last few years, and this past year we brought Mary Kiprios, who is our big data and open source recruiting manager, and she spent a lot of her time talking with consultants, with candidates, with companies in the healthcare IT space who were really desiring and needing and trying to understand more about the data scientists, people in that space, and the open source opportunities that are out there, and the candidate marketplace in general. And we are looking to marriage the two teams a little bit more here from our tech team to the healthcare IT team, recognizing that a lot of health systems are building their own internal data analytics teams and chief informaticist officer positions and things of that nature. And they're really looking to take these EMR documentation systems and get more from them in analyzing that data, indexing it properly looking at structured and unstructured data and in terms of how we can pull it from these databases, how we can build into a UI that allows us to make effective decisions on it, and whether or not these health systems can do it in-house or do they go to the thousand-plus consulting companies out there that have risen over the last three, four years, focused on that space and spending their money and time there, or, again, going to a company like Graythorne and saying, hey, I know what we need, but I need to find a data scientist who can fit and do this, or I know what we need, but I need a data engineer who can fit and do this, or I think we want to go open source with this. What sort of tools can we utilize and, and operate with and things of that nature? So we're bullish on that market as a whole, and we're excited about the opportunities that that's going to provide us. Perfect. Thanks so much for that. Ben, we're about to wrap it up for today. Before I let you go, where can people go to contact you and learn more about the great work you and your team are doing at Graythorn? Awesome. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, graythorn.com is a great resource. Check out Graythorn on LinkedIn as well. That's G-R-E-Y-T-H-O-R-N. We've got a lot of great content, a lot of great copy that we put together, and we've got a lot of great information that we hope is of interest to some folks, and we'd encourage you to call in and talk to our recruiters and get to know us a little bit more and, and follow us on Twitter as well. And thank you for that. Perfect. It was so great to talk to you today, Ben. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your wisdom. You got it, Joe. Thanks again for all the work that you guys do over there. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. That wraps this broadcast on behalf of our guest, Ben Weber. I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.